Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett, and we are coming at you live and in living color on your mobile listening devices. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been far too long since we have been in your ear, and uh, let me tell you something. We've got a whale of a show here for you tonight. I want to first welcome in my very special, close personal friend, Dave Hall. Dave, how are things going on the other side of the world, my man? Uh, it's warming up down here in Australia. We're getting out of winter. We're moving towards summer. I know you guys are heading the other direction, but it is it is lovely down here. It's been a it's been a bit wet recently. Been a lot of rain, but we're we're really got a lovely day today. So I'm enjoying life down here in the in the great land of Australia and and ready to to kick into. Uh, another episode of the Low Blow Booking Podcast. I've missed it. Absolutely, man. Now, I got a quick question here, something you just said. You said that you're going from winter into summer. Do you guys not have a spring? Well, yeah, we have spring. (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering, you know, things, you know, the world, as the world turns, it does turn differently for different people. So I just wanted to check. But sometimes it feels like we skip it with the heat, like it can get hot down here very quickly. Absolutely. So, Dave, first off, before we get going, I have to ask, did you see the new Mad Max movie yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh. I haven't had an opportunity to see it yet. Um, I'm probably going to have to wait for it to come out on DVD, I think. Okay. Well, I am a thoroughly huge Mad Max fan. I really enjoyed it. Probably the the best movie I've seen uh, in 2015 here. I just saw The Martian the other day. That one was really good, too. So if you get a chance, you know, check it out. I'm interested to see what you think um, about it being an Australian native and, uh, you know, you know, kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and seeing, you know, is there any truth or, or fiction to uh, everything going on here? I will, I will make it, a, I'll make it my mission to check that out at some Oh, absolutely. Well, Dave, you know the nice thing about uh, this time of year, it is November, and November is Survivor Series month. A lot of people call this the the weakest of the big four uh, when it comes to the WWE, and uh, over time, I think you and I can both agree that the Survivor Series has had a lot of hit, a lot of hits, and also a lot of misses. Um, I know that this year is already being heralded as as something pretty special due to the injury to Seth Rollins. Um, do you think that the WWE is going in the right direction with this uh, possible tournament? Look, I, I was I was posting with some of the guys on the uh, on the Place to Be uh, podcast live chats page the other day. I. I, I don't think they really got any choice. They probably doing a tournament is probably the best thing if Rollins is going to be out for for a few months, which it looks like he is. I think that the bad thing is though, the way they've been booking a lot of guys recently, they do not have a lot of legitimate options for a tournament in terms of who could win it. I really, I really struggle with, you know, apart from Reigns. Maybe Ambrose, but probably not to that extent. I mean, unless they're going to use Brock or bring back Daniel Bryan, most of the rest of the card have been so poorly booked that I don't think anyone would legitimately accept them as a winner of the tournament. I mean, they had had Barrett and Sheamus lose to the, um, the Lucha Dragons on Raw this last week. I mean... I mean, that's a couple of days before this injury to Rollins, but how does that make look? Those two, those two guys look like I, I mean, would take them as a legitimate contender to the title at the moment. Those guys are like quarterfinal, semifinal heels. You know what I mean? 
There is one guy right now who I think they should strike while the iron is hot, and that is Bray Wyatt. But Bray Wyatt's already in this feud with The Undertaker. We don't know where this thing's going to go. But, man, would that be hot to see him take the WWE title hostage. I think that would be just incredible. Um, I think it would set up an instant, you know, couple of feuds, especially if he had Reigns um, there. You know, they still have their issue. But then also The Undertaker coming out at the end of the the show – I obviously don't think that's going to end up happening, which kind of sucks. But um, I think that right now he is their hottest heel to to really do something like that with. I, I, look, he, he's certainly picking up some steam again. But let's remember, he just lost to Roman Reigns. He lost earlier in the year to. Uh, he, I can't remember the last time he won a major match. Yeah, and and that's and that's this is this is where I'm coming from in terms of the idea that there there aren't a lot of people who you can legitimately see as, as contenders. I mean, we talk about a tournament, we obviously think of the two big tournaments in history. We think of WrestleMania 4 and we think of Survivor Series 98. Survivor, WrestleMania 4 was at the time when everyone was winning on TV. You had, yeah, you probably didn't have a lot of people who you thought would legitimately win it, but the fact of the matter is I think if you put, you know, you could put four or five blokes into that uh, from that tournament grouping into that final match, and you would have gone. Any of these guys would be accepted as a world champion. In '98, I think you know you you had Undertaker, Kane, Austin, Mankind, Rock, and I, and I, you know, I honestly think there's probably one or two guys there who, if they'd at least got through to the semi-finals, people would be going, yeah. I mean, that's five or six guys that can win, but this year. They've booked some guys so bad. I mean, like everyone, I'd love to see Cesaro right be, be oh given gosh, a, given a shot. How good would the matches be? But he's been booked so terribly. Oh, he's a guy who they could probably move past it because he, he, he's naturally over, but they just keep booking him to lose. But, you know, look, it, it all comes down to what they want to do. I could see them doing a tournament. I could see them maybe just doing like a, a four-way or a – you know, some sort of elimination chamber or something like that as, as, as you know, we're just four or five blokes and that could work. Yeah. Um, I just don't think they've got a lot of guys who are genuinely world champion material at this point in time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that um, it's it'd be interesting to see where the WWE is going to be at in a year from now when you've given guys like Hideo Itami uh, guys like um, Sami Zayn, some of those guys, if they get some TV time, where they're going to be sitting on top of the WWE mountain. Finn Balor is another one. It's like, are we are we really going to see these NXT guys come up and, and do some great work? Are we going to see a Cesaro get a push? You know, uh, I mean, something legit where you know he's a guy that that is shown to be indestructible, like he really is, because he's probably the best athlete in the WWE at this point. But. Um, no, I think that's the fun thing. I mean, I'm intrigued to watch it. I'm I'm excited to watch it all unfold, especially, you know, this week on Raw. It's kind of like we got to figure out what's going on, and, and that's going to make me tune in. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think this week is going to be really interesting. I think the injury is as unfortunate it is and as it's probably has mucked a lot of their plans up moving forward. I think it creates some intrigue that all of a sudden I think a lot of people are sitting there going, I want to see what they're going to do. 
Um, I agree. I, I want to see what they're going to do. I, I really can't wait. Yeah, and I think intrigue is the biggest point there. Um, and that takes me back to uh, Thanksgiving night on a uh, on November of 1987, and the intrigue of what is going to happen when Andre the Giant returns. They built this entire pay per view around. Um, this big match at the end, uh, I think that you and I could probably spend a lot of time talking about all the BS behind the scenes of uh, Vince McMahon wanting to go head-to-head against Starcade um, and all the pay-per-view stuff that goes along with it. Um, however, regardless of all that stuff, the main, the main thing going into that was Andre the Giant's return to the ring for the first time since WrestleMania three, And they created this thing called the Survivor Series. And... What we're going to talk about tonight, Dave, you and I, we're going to discuss some of our favorite Survivor Series memories, but you and I are going to take the clock back one year, and we're going to talk about what would Survivor Series look like in 1986. I know that this has been a topic that a lot of people have uh, kind of written about in fantasy book themselves, so it's definitely a great, uh, you know, um, thing for you and I to sit down and kind of do some research on and make sure that, you know, we could put together a fun card with it. So I'm looking forward to it, but... Um, the first question I've got to ask is: Is where do you, how, how do you view the Survivor Series? Do you view it as a, as a great event? Do you do it as the weakest of the Big Four? What do you think about it overall? I think I think today uh, it is the weakest of the Big Four. I think it has lost so much from what it had. Uh, I was I loved the Survivor Series in the early day. I think it was a fantastic concept. I love the. The, um, the the opportunity to see you know all the big guys in action uh, all at once you know all these feuds meshed and brought together I think the advent of Raw um, really changed what they you know really changed the had an impact on the Survivor Series more than any other card because I think Raw meant that you saw blokes in action in these feud settings, and so it, it led to the, the reduction of those Survivor matches. And I'm, I, look, I am I am a big, big fan of Survivor Series tag matches. I think they're great. I think they should bring them back. I think they should do it more often. Uh, I don't think they do it enough for years. I mean, over the last few years, I look back at these cards, and apart from one or two events where maybe a main event really sort of set, set, took my eye and, and and made me really enjoy it. Most of my favourite memories are still the Survivor Series matches. I mean, I think back to, you know, you, I mean, you go back a few years, you know, DX and CM Punk and the Hardys, you know, I, I really enjoyed that one. You know, you've got the, go back to the, the early 2000s and I still enjoyed that uh, Team Bischoff versus Team Austin. They're the matches that I enjoy because they just... There's so much storytelling that can be done in them. I think it's interesting that you and I probably have the same opinion on that. But for some odd reason, the higher-ups at the WWE feel as though they don't draw. I, I, I just find it odd that um, they continue to make decisions like that. But then you've got fans like you, I, and so many others that just absolutely love you know, the idea of the five-on-five or the four-on-four. We've always loved it. People right now would clamor over a War Games match, like all of that stuff. Like, we love seeing the teams battle when they do it right and they tell a great story. And um, even going back to 1987, we had some really interesting stories going into that that first Survivor Series. Obviously, Hogan versus Andre, that sells itself. 
Um, you look at the intercontinental feud of Randy Savage versus the Honky Tonk Man. That was a huge feud at that time. And not to- and, along, and, and with him were the other guys who were the genuine contenders for that title. Absolutely. That's what Roberts, I was that's Ricky Steamboat, who yeah. just lost the title, and Brutus Beefcake, who was the next in line as the challenger. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, there was such a strong cast of characters in that mid-card. I mean, that 87 Survivor Series babyface team, of is it's Duggan, Steamboat, Jake, Brutus, and Savage. Are you kidding me? I don't give a shit if you like Jim Duggan or not. I don't care if you like Brutus Beefcake or not. That's an all-star team. Okay, that's a Hall of Fame team right there. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, those guys could match up against anybody, in my opinion. Um, it, I mean, can you think of, and, and when we think about the Survivor Series, what's your favorite event? If you were to give me your top three, what would they be? Um, oh, gee, look, I, I, have, I have such a, a soft spot for the 88 and the 89 events. I think they are... They are just so much fun. Those two are probably up there. As I said, I actually have a bit of a, a, a soft spot. I, I, I quite like um, I, I quite like the the year that they did the Team Bischoff versus Team Austin. They really seem to get back into the. The, the feeling of that of, of that Survivor Series card for a year. Uh, but most of my favourite ones are probably the early days, 88, 89, 90 to extent. 91 was good. 92 is where they really lost the plot for a bit. And that actually, the 93 card is a really enjoyable oh, it is. It's Survivor really Series card. I'd have to put that up there. I'd probably say... 88, 89, and 93 are probably my three favorite Survivor Series cards. And I actually don't mind 94 on top of it. I thought that was a fun card, too. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess I look at the advent of the team stuff. I love 88. I, I think 89 is the epitome of Federation-era WWF. You've got all the gimmicks. You've got all the big stuff. Hogan at the top. Warrior building up, Savage looking great. I, I, I really do think that that would have been, that's the epitome of a true Survivor Series type card if you can't do the uh, the tag team uh, match. You know, I love the tag team Survivor Series match. We're going to talk about that. That's one of the greatest things um, that the WWE has ever done, in my opinion. It, it, they're just fantastic cards um, and fantastic matches. But when you look at... Um, when you look at that card in 89, I think it's great. And I really like 90. And the reason I really like 90 is because that was the match or that was the show that I had watched the most as a kid. I remember recording it and watching it over and over and over. And I remember creating, you know, my own Survivor Series with my wrestling figures and putting that over in the, the grand finale match of Survival. I mean, it was just it was just fantastic stuff to, to really put together there. And uh, it was interesting. I went back and I looked at some of the grand finale matches. Imagine this grand finale match in 1989. You've got Brutus Beefcake, Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan, and the Ultimate Warrior versus Bravo, Earthquake, Savage, and Perfect. Oh, that that would be that would be I phenomenal. Mean, but yeah, it's a shame they didn't do that the, the grand match of finale more often. I think there would be some great 
great events uh, with with that. I mean that that uh, match, just the, just the stars in that. You know, like you said, you know, on one side you've got Hogan Warrior and, and throw in there, you know, Dusty and Beefcake. On the other side, is it Savage and uh, and and Bravo um, and Earthquake? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's just that would have been an awesome awesome match. Oh my gosh! I mean. That would have been, if not the greatest Survivor Series match of them all, I don't know what would have been. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, we can always think back to those things. And uh, so we've got our top three. Um, is, there, is there a favorite match that you have? Or if you have three matches, like what, what are your top three Survivor Series matches of all time? I have watched the 1988 tag team match so many times. I could probably recite the commentary in my sleep. I love that match. That is probably my all-time favorite Survivor Series match. Um, all those great teams, the fast pace, the action. I was listening to, what was I listening to? I was listening to one of the, I think it was Will on one of the Survivor Series memories cards um, a little while ago, and he was, someone was bagging out this match. And I, I look, I've always thought this this match is just the epitome of tag team action. I love that match. Um, I quite like the. Um, I must admit, I've got a, I've got a soft spot for that um, for the match that involved Luger and Taker and the Steiners oh, versus yeah. Yokozuna's team. I, I have I, I've always enjoyed that match as well. It, it surprised me what they were able to do with that match. Um, so that, that that's another match that that's that I've always enjoyed watching. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other the other matches through the through the years that have um, that really stand out to me. Um, I, I think the, um, the 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 Ric Flair. The Ric Flair match in uh, 91 was always enjoyable, except for just the big schmoz at the end. It was really good until they schmozzed it. Oh, yeah. Um, so, certainly uh, uh, an enjoyable match. Yeah, they're, they're some of my favorite favorite yeah. ones, but I don't think any the, 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 the tag match of, 80, of 88 I've got to by agree far and away my favorite. I've got to agree with you there. That I mean, that's a... That's a uh, and on top of it, it's like 40 minutes. So that's a match that you can go and watch just by itself, a standalone. It's really good. Um, I, I have to agree with that one. I guess looking at that, uh, I was such a fan of that CM Punk uh, DX Hardys match, even though they really squashed him. I just really liked it. I don't know why. I, I really, I've, I've always been a CM Punk fan. I was a CM Punk fan before he came to WWE. I was on the train before a lot of people jumped on. I, I really do. I thought he was great, and uh, to see him in that spotlight was great. Um, I really like the Bischoff versus Austin match. Um, I believe that's in 2003. I think that's right. And then, um, yeah, I, gosh, there's so many of my favorites. I really don't mind the 1987 main event with Andre and, and company against Hogan. And I guess that leads me to my next question for you, Dave. Give me your top three babyface teams, and then we'll do top three heel teams. Oh, gee, top three babyface teams. I, I can, would, I can I start us off. One, you, one of my favorites yeah. is, is the, um, is the um, – Hogan, Hogan, Jake, and Demolition from '89. Oh, yeah. I, I love that team. I, they were the, I'm a big, 
I'm a big mark for demolition. They were my tag team in the in at that time period. I was a big fan of, of them and their gimmick and how over they were. Um, so and I love Jake the Snake was always my I must admit from an early age I actually Hogan was a little bit lower in my pecking order as as, as a fan, but um, I really enjoyed uh, that 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 team put together. They're probably up there as one of my favourite teams. I like that DX Hardy CM Punk team. I think that's a fantastic fantastic team that's been put together from a face point of view. Um, and and as I said, that Luger Undertaker Steiner's team um, is is a really good team as well. So they're, they're probably three of my favourite face teams of all time. All right, let me let me run through uh, what mine are. I think right now, um, I think going back and looking at um, babyface teams, I thoroughly enjoyed that Hogan. Jake Demolition. That was that was one of my favorites of all time. I really I liked every single one of those guys. Um, when it comes to another babyface team, you mentioned them earlier, but I really liked the team of Luger, Undertaker, and the Steiners. Those those were that was a team that I could really jump behind. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. I'm going to go with four. Um, I talked about the DX, CM Punk, and Hardys. I was never a big Hardys fan, but I liked him in that role. And then um, the other one was going to be that 87 babyface team, Savage, Steamboat, Roberts, uh, Duggan, and Beefcake. I thought that was an amazing uh, ensemble of characters. Um, that's, a, that's a good team. That's a really good team. And I guess that leads into our top three heel teams. Um, I'm going to start it off from 87. I believe that this team um, – could, should, and would never be beaten, um, and that is Andre, One Man Gang, King Kong Bundy, Butch Reed, and Rick Rude. Um, that, to me, was the epitome of heel, tag team, everything that you could imagine it had, and not to mention it had Bobby Heenan outside the ring. It had Slick outside the ring. It was it was the greatest team. I remember at one point in the Territory Wars, I fought to get all five of those guys so I could make them my Heenan family, and I would use that picture from the Survivor Series. I just, I love that team. It was so good. Um, another heel team that I liked uh, going back was the Rude, Perfect, and Rougeau's team. That one was pretty good. Um, you know, I, 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 I thought those guys had a lot of, you know, had a lot of spunk, I guess, if you will. And then the last one, I believe I'm, I may try to get it right, um, but it's, I believe it's the 1994 Survivor Series team, um, and it is the team of uh, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, <laughs> Owen Hart, um, oh gosh, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jeff Jarrett Jeff. and Jim Neidhart. I really love that team. Um, I was I was just that was going to be one of the fir- the first heel team I was going to name was that very team. Gosh, they were fun, you know. Oh man, and Diesel was Diesel was what like three days away from becoming the man, you know. He was he was hot at that time. Oh he my was, gosh. he was over big time. And then you've got Sean, who at this point was at the epitome of being a chicken shit. Um, You've got Owen, who is just a great heel all around. Jim Neidhart, who's just there to be there. And Jeff Jarrett, you know. But, um, Jim Neidhart was there because he was being 
put together as he was Owen's offsider and he was almost the the, um, the the underlying glue that was holding Owen and Brett in in, in feud against each other. They, they really sort of put him over as sort of like a you know like the slimy working with Owen to undermine Brett thing. I, he wasn't just there; he had a really important role at that point. I, I hear you, I, and, and don't get me I, when I say that. You know, he's just not a guy that you're going to take overly seriously. He's not a guy that's going to win the Survivor Series match. Um, but, you know, he, he had a good role. I'll, I'll give you that. And then Jeff Jarrett, who I do think, you know, he had a lot of – he had such an interesting career. I mean, to go back and look at it, just like a timeline of when he was with each company, um, uh, I mean, from this point to, to 2000, it's like what in the world was going on with this guy just flipping and flopping every two years – um, sometimes within the year, it's just like, what the heck, you know, where did this guy miss? You know, cause he had so much promise coming out of Memphis. He had star written all over him. I, 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 somewhere something happened that just didn't go over well, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day, I guess. I would, I would have, I would pretty much echo your, your thoughts. The, the heel team in that first Survivor Series main event was, was, was phenomenal and you know, just such uh, you know, they were, they were, it, it really felt like they were the top five heels in the company. I think and, in the world. And, and that, that <laughs> made a really, really dominant, really, really powerful team. I really enjoyed that team. So you wouldn't go with uh, Jerry Lawler's uh, Sleazy, Cheesy, and Queasy? <laughs> uh, certainly go with them as one of the worst, if not the worst yeah. ever. Um, I love I love the Root Brood. Um, I think everyone loves the Root Brood. Four of the best workers ever. Uh, the, 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 the heel team, the, as we were just talking about, the, the Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Owen, and, and Jim the Anvil. That was a phenomenal team. But here's one for you that, um, you know, I've pro- Right up there in the mix, 2000, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Perry oh, yeah. Satin, Dean Malenko. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, and they were heels at the time. They were, they were being cast as heels. So, uh, And it was at the time after, like, the, the Radicals had, had come in, had separated, had done their things, and then they put them back together for this, mat, for this match at the... Uh, at the end of the at the end of the card, so yeah. And look, don't go. I know the storyline was absolute. I know they botched the invasion angle, but the 2001 main event, the heel team oh, yeah. there is Stone Cold, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, Shane McMahon. Yeah, I, I do think that was a great team, and I thought that was a really good match too. I mean, overall, that was probably one of the top matches um, with everything that they had going on. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's been some good, there've been some fun, good teams throughout the years. So, if you could put any two teams together to face off against one another, who would it be? Oh, I would, I would probably look at. I think from a face point of view, that Hogan, Jake the Snake demolition team was as over as any four men could be. I mean, that was the, the, the pinnacle of demolition. There was probably Jake's, close to Jake's peak as a baby just face. Up, he's just coming back from the neck injury, wasn't he? Yeah, or the, yeah, he, the, the, um, that was the, yeah, the television injury. He actually had, um, I believe he was having legal issues. And, and I they, thought and there, was, there might have been but, contract stuff too. 
Yeah. And, I mean, put that team uh, against, you know, like, you know, maybe throw an extra man in. I mean, put them against that. Can you imagine them against... Um, actually, yeah, that team put up against the... What was originally supposed to be Yokozuna, Ludwig Borger, and the Quebecers, and then they, yeah, they obviously had the, the change in personnel and Crush came in. I mean, that that would have been an interesting main event in and of its own. Oh but, yeah, um, I, I quite like the the team that um, you know, end of O two from a hill point of view. Triple H, was it Triple H, Batista, um, Ric Flair? Who else was in that team? Um, that was basically the height of evolution. Um, Triple H. Wait, in 2002 this was? Was it, was it 03? Because 2002 was the Elimination Chamber. No, it might have been the end of 03. Because um, that was that was the... Uh, they, they wrestled, Triple H wrestled Goldberg that year. I'm sure there was a year where Evolution were almost together, put together. Um, um, no, I, look be, at I must be thinking offhand. Yeah, I... Okay, it was Triple H, Edge, Batista, and Snitsky. Okay, yeah. It's the shame that Snitsky's in that match. But, I mean, the, the other three, Triple H, Batista, and Edge, I mean, that was... That's what I'm saying. Like, that, I, you know, you put it up there, that, they'd be an interesting team to, to foil in at the time as well. So, because those... Batista, Triple H, and Edge were really hot at that time. And don't sleep on that Brock Lesnar, Big Show, Matt Morgan, Nathan Jones, A-Train team. Are you kidding me? Those are some fucking hosses right there. <laughs> My gosh, those guys could have done some serious work. Um, yeah, I, I just I here's the thing that we get out of it. We love the Survivor Series. I mean, is there any other way to put it? This is one of my favorite cards to put together, and it's really it's diminished so much that it's frustrating. Um, now, outside of the team aspects, we talked about the tournament in '98. That was a really good tournament. I think that booking wise, it was kind of questionable, but for the most part, it was really fun the way that everything turned out. But then also the Elimination Chamber. I like. I like the idea of the Survivor Series being this last man standing event. Um, if you recall in the Territory Wars, my last Survivor Series, I had a six man or, or, or a, a three team uh, Survivor match. I had a, a five on five, a four on four, a three on three, a two on two, and then a last man standing match. I always thought that that idea of you know, who is going to be the last one to survive? I always thought that was a great thing to do here. Um, and I like the chamber at the, at the series. I like the tournament, um, and I like the team aspects. Um, do you think that we're kind of missing the boat with some of that stuff? I think I think that the WWE, I, I never liked the idea of having Elimination Chamber as its own card. Um, when they put it, really didn't makes sense to me. I, I really enjoyed when they put that elimination chamber in the first time, it fit the concept of the Survivor Series. You had to survive the match, not only survive the order of entry, the order of being released from the pods, you had to survive the structure. You had to survive being eliminated. That really It really fits the idea. And I think that's why so many people would love to see war games at the Survivor Series because it, it just it, it fits into that image. And I just think over the last, you know, over the last 10 years, WWE have, you know, they, they moved away from the traditional Survivor matches and just went, you know, you get one a year, maybe two, depending on what they're feeling, but you get your title matches, you get your feuds, you get it's just matches that you don't want to see. It's another pay-per-view. Yeah, and, um, and I think that, um, I think... 
think that they're missing the opportunity to really utilise the storytelling that can be made in the build-up, building a team. I mean, look, they did in one night on Raw this last week what could have covered a month worth of build-up to the Survivor Series. Yep. Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, pick a team. You can have it for two or three weeks asking blokes, trying blokes out. You're not good enough. I'm not having you on my team. You know, Roland's being picky and, 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 you know, whatever. That could have been a month of build-up to a Survivor Series match at Survivor Series. Yep. I, and, and, and here's the thing. We've eliminated pay-per-view from the equation. So why not do what you want to do on those events and, and – you know, people are paying their nine ninety nine a month. You know, you, you, I don't know. We we could sit here all night and talk about booking the WWE and, and you can you can pay nine ninety nine a month. I can't get it. Yeah, it's still not available down here. They made well, they're making this big thing about it being available in India now, and I'm sitting here going, bring it to friggin' Australia. We don't have it yet. Yeah, I it, well at this point, Dave, I can't say you're missing too much other than the library. Um, I you know I go back and watch the library quite a bit. I'm I'm trying to get my way through. Uh, I just got through '96 WCW. Um, some really good stuff, and I'm through Uncensored '97 at this point. So um, just kind of watching the rise and fall of the NWO, and um, it's so funny to like categorize it where the WWE was with the Canadians versus Americans and where WCW was. And it's just so surprising that WCW was still winning the war at this point. And, and, and then to think how over Roddy Piper was. My gosh, was that guy over. People that was, loved him. I couldn't him. get that, how over he was. I mean, look, I'm not knocking him as a legend in the sport, but there were guys who, yeah, uh, how how why he was as over as he was in WCW at the time is very surprising. Makes no sense to me at all. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about Roddy Piper. Let's talk about 1986. Uh, you and I, we spent about 30 minutes. I think you and I could probably talk for 30 more minutes about just how fun the Survivor Series is. But let's go back and book our own Survivor Series, Dave. Let's go back to November 27, 1986. The Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio. Um you know, let, why, let's go to Richfield. That's where they went in the first place. And uh, let's have Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura um, at ringside. Maybe Jesse the Pilgrim. You never know. Um, the thing is, is that we're going to be going up against 1986 Starcade, the Skywalkers. Um, the big main event was Ric Flair versus Nikita Koloff. Um, this is coming off the Magnum TA issue, uh, Road Warriors versus the Midnight Express in the Skywalkers match, um, Rock and Roll Express versus Andersons, and what many call the greatest tag team cage match of all time, and then of course Tully and Dusty in a first blood match. Um, when you look at that card of Starcade '86, what's the first thing that you need to do in order to build a card to go against it? I think I think you need. Oh. I think you need to make sure that you've got you 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 you've got battles that people wanna wanna see. I think you need your top blokes against each other, and you need some you need some strong work rate at some point in there because they um you know what what always set that that time period apart for the NWA was the work rate, and and those are some big heated there's some heated rivalries there that you know the the, the whole Skywalkers thing came about because 
the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express were in a le- real solid feud. Yeah. Um, finally, after the Midnight Express got pulled off of Rock and Roll Express forever and ever, um, that was that was a real good rivalry. The Magnum, the the the, uh, the Magnum injury obviously brought about a change, but just the you know, you, you had you had uh, Flair at the, at the at the height of this thing, newly turned Nikita Koloff, and you've got Magnum T A and Dusty, which was a real blood feud. So you're going to want people to be tuning in to see guys who they want to see tear each other apart. And I think, you know, that's what you've got to be building towards. My first question is this, Dave. Do you even try to run against it, or do you go the day before? (laughs) As a wrestling fan, if it was me, I would probably go the day before. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's a fucking killer card. And on top of it, you've got so much build to Starcade. It's already a brand. You know, people know Starcade means something, but then you know, if you're trying to create this new thing, I, I, I'd have to go the day before. And do we even have pay per view at this point, or is it still going to be closed circuit? Um, I, I think. Well, I mean, WWE had. I mean, WrestleMania two was the was really. The, I mean, right? Wrestling Classic was the year before. Yeah, and WrestleMania two was on pay per view. So. WWE, I mean, this is the advantage that the WWE had. Starcade was not on pay-per-view. You could run on that night because it was not being shown around the around the nation. It was on closed circuit. Okay. Um, and pay-per-view, WWE had the monopoly and could still use the monopoly at that night. I see. I and see. I always get fuzzy with like when pay-per-view was invented. Um, and when it was really starting to be utilized, um, because the first Survivor Series was on pay-per-view. Um, and I, I didn't know that WrestleMania 2, I thought WrestleMania 2 was, it, yep, there it was, pay-per-view event. Yeah. I, the I the first NWA was, pay-per-view was Starcade 87 the following year. So they okay. weren't even on this match, wouldn't have been, this event wouldn't have been on pay-per-view for them. So... Vince would have had a captive audience. In fact, it probably would have been, yeah, I know Vince, I don't know him personally, but from history, he would, he would run it opposed. He would run it on the same night, knowing that he has a national audience. I hear you. And, and I guess I, I see both sides to it, I mean, when it comes down to it, um, because what we're going to run is a four-match card against that super card of the NWA, and uh, we got to hope that we come out alive. I mean, we're running four against 12. No title matches versus the NWA Tag Team, NWA Television, NWA United or uh, Central States, NWA World Title. I mean, we, we've got some pretty good shit to, to go against it. So let's take ourselves to Richfield. Let's go to Ohio. Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon, November 27th, 1986. Um now, Dave, you've been watching some of the, the the television leading up to this date, so I'm going to defer to your judgment on a lot of things. But when it comes down to it, I think you and I both agreed in pre-production of this. You know, we we've got a pretty good idea of what we want to do with these cards. So let's set up our first matchup. And as much as I really want to do the Vince Groggly voice um, and think of team names, this is kind of going to be that first inception of all right, we're going to put some teams together. We're going to have five on five. We're going to play off our feuds, and we're going to kind of see where we're at. So let's talk about these first two teams. First off, team captain Randy Savage is uh, along with Jake the Snake Roberts, Butch Reed, the Honky Tonk Man, and Jimmy Jack Funk. 
as they take on team captain Bruno San Martino, George the Animal Steel, Tito Santana, Pedro Morales, and Dick Slater. Dave, tell me about how these two teams came together. Well, the, 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 uh, the important thing to realize here is this event would be occurring one week after the Randy Savage putting Rick Steamboat out of action match on, on, on wrestling, on superstars of wrestling. So the original plan for this card, when they, would, when they would have been promoting it and building it up, would be that Randy Savage would be one captain and Ricky the Dragon would be the other captain. However... Ricky the Dragon is, is obviously suffers that severe throat injury at the hands of Randy Savage, and um, if you if you've seen superstars of the time on this on that night at the end of the card they cross back to Bruno who's giving an update on the Dragon and talking about how bad he is, and Randy Savage walks into the room and Randy Savage sort of starts gloating and. And Bruno just tears into him, starts beating the crap out of him, and um, and and following that, they actually put Bruno into the uh, into the house show circuit against Randy Savage. So I I see this as Bruno stepping up uh, for the fact that Ricky the Dragon was injured. So there's there's the reason why Bruno San Martino's on our card. Very surprising. But at the time, it certainly fit with the storylines that were being put forward. The other thing to note is the original card would have had superstar Billy Graham, who also only a few weeks earlier had been attacked by Butch Reed, put out of action. And so we've replaced superstar Billy Graham with newly arrived Rebel Dick Slater. Now, look, even down here in Australia, I mean, I'm, I didn't, grow, I don't grow up in the, in the. You know, sort of the north-south of the U.S. and the and the Mason-Dixon line and all that sort of stuff. But dead set, I'm Dick Slater just sucked, and this was not. I don't get this 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 Rebel Dick Slater thing. I just don't get it. I mean, for one thing, most of these events, even in '86, were still occurring. In most of the WWF's big fan base was still in the northern part of the U.S., wasn't it at this time? Yeah. And um and here they're putting out a bloke who's the Rebel, the South, oh, I don't know. Anyway, we're putting him in as, as, as a cover. So that, that's sort of the background for these for these matches. So Jake the Snake had been in a feud with Ricky the Dragon earlier in the year. Uh, Honky Tonk Man, um, newly turned heel, um, arrived on the scene. Joke of the Federation uh, did, the, did the whole, you know, give me a manager, who, who should I support? And, you know, he ends up with Jimmy Hart turning heel. And then we ran out the team with Jimmy Jack Funk. You'll see, listeners are going to find out, the one thing we ran into with an 86 card is we, the, 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 the roster, while still strong, doesn't quite have the depth to it. And we had to find a couple of blokes to fill some roles. Um, and Jimmy Jack Funk would have, just coming out of the whole period, he would be teaming up with Terry, and, um, and he sort of replaced... Uh, Dory Funk, or Hoss Funk, as they called him when they when they left. So Jimmy Jack had been teaming with Terry uh, up until probably a month or two before this event. So he was still pretty high profile, but we know he's nothing but a jobber. Absolutely. And then um, and then the the other side of the coin, you've got blokes you know who were in that level. Pedro Morales was still you know, doing a lot of teaming with guys like. Ricky the Dragon and Tita Santana and stuff like that, as we said. And uh, George the Animal Steel, he just fits right in with the whole Randy Savage um, storyline. Yeah, I um, I guess I look at, at both of these teams, and um, the biggest question I have is do we uh, 
do we have to run that angle a little bit earlier with um, with Savage or Steamboat getting hurt? You know, because you want to try and sell the pay per view. Um, you know, do you run it a, a shoot for for uh, television? You know, on one week of television, it happens. Then the next week, Bruno comes out, and then you have the show. You know what I mean? So you can get some of that advertising in on it. I, I, I think I think it could work. I, I really don't think it would make a difference because I, I think the show is going to be built on the other feuds we're going to refer to later in the show. So yeah. I think that you could get away. I, I think it could have been a big surprise for the for the audience just to have. Yeah, they would have seen Ricky out, and then. They announced Bruno coming. Oh, I think it would have been a great pop. It would have gone a great, a, a great moment at the at the thing. Maybe run the show a week early, announce it ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, you could have done that too. I don't think it matters either way because um, the fans in '86 are not buying a, a ticket to see Bruno Sammartino. I hear you. So let's talk about this match. What do you, what do we see unfolding here when we got you know some ultra white hot heels coming in? We've got some old school type baby faces, but we do got a, a great worker there in Tito Santana. Oh, I think I think that um, obviously probably the early elimination is going to be Jimmy Jack Funk. He's going to be gone. He's going to be out of the mix. He, he's nothing but a, a jobber helping out, filling a role. And so you get rid of him pretty quickly, maybe at the hands of, um, you know, maybe at the hands of, of, of Bruno himself or, or, or Pedro Morales. It doesn't really matter. Maybe Dick Slater gets a win there. I think George the Animal is probably going to go quickly as well. George is, you know, he, he really, you know, in 86, he's really, his career is done. And the, the, the storyline with Randy Savage is what has kept him going. I could see him being distracted by Elizabeth on the outside and Savage just comes off the top rope with that double axe handle, maybe maybe even sends George the animal into the into the into the steel um, the railing around the ring. Maybe even have Savage set up that he's gonna do to George the Animal what he did to the dragon, but guys like Bruno and Tito and Pedro get in the way and prevent it from happening. But Steel gets counted out. Um, I think they're your two early ones. Uh, from there, look, I think you're going to see Savage's team really start to take control. Probably get rid of, you know, Dick Slater and Pedro Morales probably get eliminated at some point. Um, and uh, maybe Honky, Honky goes. Uh, he really, he was still nothing, nothing big. Um, and I think the big key here is the temper of Bruno Sammartino. What I see happening is, is Bruno... Um, Bruno just losing his shit, and, um, and 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 at some point he just can't control himself, and he starts just wailing on Savage, beating him. The referee tries to tell him to break out of the corner or something. Bruno refuses to listen. He's he's getting revenge for for the dragon, and Bruno gets disqualified. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's a that's a big move. It's a big decision. But as I said, in '86, Bruno is he's not. He's not a draw in 86. He might have been in 83, 84. But in 86, we had the revamp of the company. And I remember when I was watching in 86. I remember, I remember thinking, you know, Bruno's just a commentator. He's an old ex-wrestler. He's not, not someone I wanted to, to pay money to see. Not that we got them down here. But, um, and then I... Which pretty much leaves you with Savage Jack and Butch Reed against Tito Santana. Uh, Tino fights valiantly. Um, I could see Butch Reed, you know, probably the three team putting a bit of a, a work on him. Uh, Tito plays the beaten up bloke so well. And what I could see happening is uh, Tino 
bounces off the ropes, sort of sent to the ropes by Butchery, comes off with the flying forearm, gets a shock pin over Butch Reed, Jake the Snake just comes straight in and drops him with the DDT, tags in the Macho Man who comes off the top rope with the elbow, and Savage and Jake the Snake are our survivors with Butch Reed pretty much still in the ring with them. Yeah, and I, I love the, the idea of Bruno immediately eliminating Jimmy Jack Funk so that you can have Gorilla and Jesse say, hey, he's still got it. You know, he he's coming out here ready for a fight, you know, and, and, and George the Animal still, he's spotter. In, in all reality, this should be a four-on-four. Um, but when it comes down to it, we want to tell that story. And I think Dick Slater, you know, we give him a little bit of a rub, but in the most part, you know, he's going to go down. And it's too bad because Dick Slater had such a good career in the South, in my opinion, um, to come up here and be what he what he ends up being. It's pretty frustrating to see. I mean, you could put Dick Slater over Honky. You could realistically possibly do that. I mean, like I said, Honky was really, he was nothing at that point. The the gimmick, I mean, it's there, but it's not there yet. And so, you know, Dick Slater can put him out, and that could lead to start what you see on TV of Honky becoming more of the honky-tonk man that we know. You know, it certainly would work. Absolutely. Um, And then uh, the, the ending with... Savage and Jake sitting on top, you know, that's the best that we can come up with, you know, because these guys have got star power written all over them. And then to go from having Butch Reed right there at the end, you know, he's a guy that looks like he won the match, but we got to remember that he, that he didn't, you know what I mean? He did lose. So, um, you know, telling that story is, is a fun one. And, uh, you know, coming out of it, you know, Savage looks great. Jake looks great. Butch Reed looks pretty good. And Tito Santana puts up a great effort. So, And I think that, that you can build off that to the house show circuit then and, and really build off of these feuds coming out of it. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's fine. And I mean, the big thing is, um, you know, Savage and Jake are the guys you wanted to hitch your wagon to. They're, they're the men on the rise. They, they've been in the company for about a year now. They are uh, maybe not quite a year. Um, Savages, or Savage has been for a year, but Savage has been champ, fighty champ for most of the year. Jake arrived just before Mania. They are, they are the two blokes who are heading up the car. To, to the, they're the ones that, you, that you're building your company around, and so they really need to be really featured here. Absolutely. So let's cut to our next matchup. Um, Gorilla and, uh, you know, Jesse make the statement. The ring has been specially reinforced for this one, folks. A five-team, five-on-five tag team Survivor Series match. We're going to have 20 men um, out there on each team. Um, no, not 20 men on each team. 10 men on each team. Uh, 20 men total. Um, we look at our teams here. We've got the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, Mike Rotundo and Danny Spivey, the Rougeau Brothers, and the Islanders taking on the Dream Team, the Heart Foundation, the Moondogs, Sheik and Volkov, and then Mr. Fuji and Sika, who does appear to be kind of a weird team. However, they were teaming up around this time and did have some ties. And I think that you're going to find this is another team that we kind of just have to put in to maybe fill things out. But they're going to serve a little bit of a purpose for the, for the, you know, the reasoning behind the matchup. Look, I mean, this this is, um, I mean, you, you've sort of, you've got a situation in in, um, in 86, and I don't want to blow things too much for what's coming up later on, but there are two teams that were heavily featured in 86 that we really wanted to utilise in a different part of the card. But you had all, you had a heck of a lot of face teams, 
in 86 and not as many heel teams. And I think, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, even it, when you look at that, I mean, by late 86, Sheik and Volkov were, they were on the downward spiral as a team. They, they really, they passed their, their, their peak. The Moondogs were never more than, um, in, in, 80, in 86, by this point, they're nothing more than jobbers to the stars. And, and um, you know, you've got a, you have a legitimate imbalance of tag teams in the company at this point in time, which made it really hard because we actually, you know, we've got the Islanders and Rotunda and Spiderman. We, I think, if I remember right, we had we, we were playing around. There was potentially another tag team yep. we could have put on the face side of things as well. The Can Am Express. We, sorry. The Can Am Express. The Can yeah, the Can Am Connection who, oh, connect, who yeah. were entering the company at this time as well. So you had these these massive amount of, of face teams, not a amount of heels, and so really, you, you can end up seeing why the WWF had to turn a couple of teams heel in 87, because they just, they needed the, the, the numbers in there. It's kind of like, if you fast forward to 87, if you watch the pay-per-view edition, you see Ted DiBiase vignettes, but they didn't use him on the card, and it, it's almost so, it's almost smart that they didn't because you didn't want him to be overshadowed in any way, shape, or form. On top of the fact he wouldn't have fit anywhere. Um, so it, it, it's interesting to, to see that dichotomy of you know we've got the Can Ams who quite possibly could have been you know one of the biggest teams at this point if if Zinc wouldn't have left. But then they do end up becoming a big team with Tito. So. Um, We just got to use what we've got. You know, we can't manufacture too much uh, given this situation. But um, let's talk about this tag team match. You know, right now the the British Bulldogs are as hot as a team could be. Uh, We talked about the Killer Bees. They're a team that is as hot as teams could be. Um, And then we talk about on the heel side, the Dream Team and the Foundation. Um, Everybody else is just kind of out there, but we got to use them in the right way. What do you you think we do here with, with these tag teams? Looking at a team like the Moondogs going pretty quick, um, they're, they're not going to last very long. Do Fuji um, and Sika outlast them, though? Oh, I could see Fuji and Sika outlasting them. I mean, you look at um, you, you look at what was going on in, in late '86. Sika was being put over big time, and he's he's a former tag team champion. So is Fuji. I could really picture um, Jesse playing that up. Mr. Fuji and Sika are both former tag team champions. They might not be teaming together much, but these guys, these guys have got the ability, got the talent. Seeker was being put over big time. They were building, trying to build towards some matches between him and Hogan on the on the house shows. So yeah. Seeker wasn't um, Seeker wasn't just pure cannon fodder at this point. He was he'd been rebuilt as a bit of a, a a rising talent. So I could see the Moondogs going before them, but I think in the end Fuji and Seeker are going to go pretty. I can see them going pretty quick afterwards. Um, I, I think the, the, the face team are going to get a bit of a, an early lead here, and then the, the talent of the Dream Team and the Heart Foundation are going to start taking it back. Um, you know, the Rougeau brothers uh, at this point, there's not, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're not really doing much apart from them, apart from having solid in-ring matches. They're probably going to go quite early. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll get rid of the Moon Dogs, and you know, then maybe I could see like maybe the Moon Dogs get pumped by the Bulldogs. You know, let's give the, let's give the tag team champions of the world a quick a quick win. They knock over the other dogs and get them out of the ring. Maybe Fuji uh, gets himself in a bad position. Maybe the Islanders, uh, the Islanders had uh, had really sort of come together at 
this late part of the year, and they were exciting. I was watching some superstars at the time, and they were getting some good reactions and being put over well, and Gorilla talk about their their ability. So maybe the Islanders put Fuji out. Now, not, not necessarily Seeker, but Fuji gets done and costing his team a spot. Then maybe you look at the Rougeos being put down by the Hart Foundation or the Dream Team, either either one. Rotundo and Spivey, this is, this is the thing. They, I remember um, Barry Windham left, I think, left the company right at the beginning, end of 85 or right at the beginning of 86. Um, and Rotundo left for a while and came back and they teamed him up with Danny Spivey and they were trying to recreate the U.S. Express. They came out. They came out to the same music, the Born in the USA music. Um, they came out. You know, Spivey looked like Wyndham, uh, wore the yellow like Wyndham did, used the bulldog like Wyndham did. They were trying to put them over as a reboot of the former tag champions, but Spivey just—he's not Barry Wyndham. Nope. And I think, you know. Around late 86, they, the WWF had realised what was going on, and I think they'd be willing to, to, to put these guys to the curb, maybe the hands of, you know, they might even be willing to pump them out to, to Iron Sheik or Nikolai Volkov. You know, I could see that being a, a potential change, which leads you, it sort of brings you back to a three-team on three-team situation. Yeah, I, I, I look at, you know, what we've got going on here with some of these teams, and we got to figure out what does the future hold for them. And obviously, we have hindsight, which is always twenty twenty. But the Hart Foundation—they had money written all over them. You know, how do we utilize a team like this? Um, the Dream Team—you look at them, and it's like, all right, well, you know, their time is coming and going. But man, we've got to really push with these some of these younger guys. So I look at the Bees, I look at the Islanders, and the Bulldogs, and the Hearts, and how do we utilize them the the best way that we possibly can? Um, you know, we talked about the possibility of the Hart Foundation, you know, beating the Bulldogs. You know, how, how do you set that feud up, you know? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you, you want, you know that that's where that, we know that's where they're going. And obviously this would be the perfect time to move the Bulldogs on from the dream team of the former champions onto who are the legitimate challenges. And I could see... Um, Maybe you know some good a good backwards series of matches, and then maybe you know Bret Hart gets a sort of a go behind, or maybe Dynamite Kid pushes him into the into the ropes, and Anvil just clocks him in the head. Bret Hart rolls him up, grabs the tights, and they steal the win over the Bulldogs, and the Bulldogs get eliminated. And the Hart fan and Jesse the Body is on commentary saying. That would have to make the Hart Foundation the number one contenders. Oh, They've just pinned the champions. Absolutely. And, he, and even he says they should just give him the titles now. You know, I mean, just, just playing off that role that he did so much better than so many other people. Just saying, you know, they, they should be crowned the champions right here, right now, Monsoon. Give them the belts. Yeah, Monsoon with his, you know, will you be serious? They can't do that. That's not what this is about. But, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe they'll, they'll be, you know, maybe they'll be, you know, getting a title match in the near future after that. And, and maybe in the euphoria of the celebration, you, you bring in someone like the Islanders, they come in and they just put, not necessarily eliminate the hearts at this point, but put them back in their place, drop, drop Brett, who's celebrating this big victory. And, and, you know, bring the match back on with, uh, you know, 
these two teams now, the Bees and the Islanders, starting to try and regain some ground. They, they maybe they drop maybe they drop the hearts pretty quick after it for you know, the celebrating. And Gorilla goes on. That's you can't celebrate. You can't take your eyes off any of these men. Are so dangerous. You can't lose your concentration even for a minute. Well, I think he puts uh, over. He's got to put over the match. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. He, he's putting over how how quickly things can happen inside that ring when you got so many competitors, so many arms, so many legs, so many minds working. It's you, you don't have a minute to take a breath. And, um, you know, he puts that through the roof, which I thought would have been – I mean, this is the perfect opportunity for it. And uh, we look at the Islanders and the Killer Bees – you know, kind of being those last two teams that that stand tall here, um, that'd be an interesting little concept to see where do we, what can we do with these teams now? You know what I mean? What can we do with these two white hot tag teams coming off of this this huge event? On top of the fact that we've got a ready made feud with the Bulldogs and the Hearts, and then of course we've got the Dream Team who who still have, um, you know, they still got some some stuff in the tank. So they, they've still got the traction of they're the former champions and look. I'm- I've been watching Greg the Hammer Valentine. People talk about Greg the Hammer Valentine slowing down. The fact of the matter is, in '86, he was still going. He was going hard. So, you know, I probably see the. I mean, when do you really think he stopped? Because even through '89, with that feud with Garvin, he looked fucking good. I mean, he was he was on top. Yeah, I think that '89 was like a one last. I show you that I've still got it. I really think by the time you got to late '87, early '88, you could tell that the hammer. He, you look at the hammer in '86, and he was still quite trim. He he actually bulked up a little bit going through '87, and then he's carrying that weight into '88. But in '86, he still looked fantastic in the ring, um, and I think you know. He, he, this is your opportunity. The hammer can be used to, you know, the hammer and beefcake, the dream team can be used to, maybe they're the last team eliminated. You know, Shika Volkov can go at any point, but maybe the dream team are the last team eliminated, possibly by the bees, and to really put over, hey, the killer bees, if, you know, they could even be in with a chance at, at, at a tag title shot after beating the former tag team champions. Oh, I, I yeah, I, I, the killer bees, um, they're primed. They're ready to go. You know what I mean? We we just gotta we gotta find the right time to pull the trigger on them. And in all honesty, that window for them is closing, in my opinion, um, because you've got teams like the Hearts and teams like the Bulldogs that are gonna overshadow them in in, in moments. You know, in, in the in the history of in the annals of time, the Bulldogs and the and the Heart Foundation have a much longer shelf life than the Killer Bees do. So. Um, and I think I think the Killer Bees were probably the team most impacted by the arrival of the Can-Am connection. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the arrival of Martel and Zink, they were put over huge, and they basically usurped the Killer Bees spot on the card. And, you know, that, that was, you know, the Killer Bees were probably the number two tag team at this point, and within a few weeks they were the number three tag team. At, at this point, they should have, if they were going to pull the, the trigger on the Bees, they should have been tag team champions around this time. But I wouldn't have I would never have had them as champions over the Bulldogs. The exactly. fact of the matter, that's the just Bulldogs it. The Bulldogs were were over massive and they were a top team. And they could They're one of my favorite teams all time. They and they could work with anybody, you know. I really like watching those Bulldogs versus Bundy in, in stud matches. That, that's yeah, they, good stuff. Mm, yeah. You know, it's just like 
it's like Davy Boy can get in there and do the power work, but man, and it, it, it just worked out so well for those guys. I mean, again, another off-topic thing. We could go on and on about the Bulldogs at some point. Um, but, you know, coming out of this, we've got a lot of things going forward. So let's move forward with our third matchup here. Now, our third match features um, not a title, but a lot of heat in the feud. Um, team captain Roddy Piper leads Billy Jack Haynes, Corporal Kirshner, Coco Beware, and the Junkyard Dog against team captain Adrian Adonis, Don, uh, Don Morocco, Bob Orton, Dino Bravo, and Kamala. I think without a doubt we're starting to see our star power here. Now, we really loaded up these last two matches, and this heel team, let me tell you something, this heel team is something to, to behold. Um, you got some really, really good you know, hands in this one, some good, um, some good characters. So we know this Adonis versus Piper feud has been kind of heating up. We know that Piper's got history with Orton. Um, you know, how do we, how do we put all these things together? Um, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the whole, I mean, Adonis, Morocco and Orton were basically a package. I mean, uh, Orton had become Adonis's Bodyguard, Morocco and Orton had started teaming uh, from time to time. They were really linked together on the whole build-up with the, the Roddy Piper face turn. So they're this, they're this little clique, this little unit. Um, Dino Bravo has just arrived in a company, and he's not as big as he ends up being within 12 to 18 months. Uh, and Kamala's around at this point. We needed to find a spot for him. But, you know, this match is really built around that. You've also, on the other side, you've got a couple of guys who've just arrived. Billy Jack Haynes has just turned up. Coco Beware has just arrived. JYD in 86 was probably, you know, he was just starting. You know, he, he, he really started to, to, to go down. He was now sort of the, the upper mid-card babyface you feuded with before you either moved on to Hogan or you were moving back away from Hogan. Um, and um, Corporal Kirchner is in the match. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I am not a fan of Corporal Kirshner at all. Nope, he he doesn't have too much to bring to the table. But um, look, this match. Look, I, I see this match. You know, okay, like all the matches, you know, we don't need to go through all the eliminations. But the reality is, I think Kirshner and Coco. Um, yeah, Coco was new on the scene, but he was he was smaller. Uh, he, they'd end up being probably the first couple going from the face team. Uh, Kamala's probably going to get himself. Maybe you could see Kamala getting disqualified for or counted out for doing something stupid. Well, him and him and JYD, that's an easy double DQ, double elimination. These guys, you know, they've got a lot of history, and you know, they're two people that you can see kind of taking the fight to the streets. So. I can see, I can see, like Morocco putting Corporal Kirshner out early um, at some point. You know, you end up with this situation. Bravo probably, Bravo probably gets dropped um, at you know, you know, maybe by maybe by Billy Jack Haynes. You know, Bravo was, had only just arrived. He wasn't being pushed as a big time. We know that within six months, or, you know, he's, he's less than that. He's, he's part of the dream team. So they didn't have anything big planned for him. So I think you're going to end up with a situation where you're going to have Morocco. Orton and Adonis on one side, Piper and Billy Jack Haynes on the other. Yep. And I think this is where Morocco, Orton and Adonis really start working together. Uh, probably, you know, Billy Jack Haynes, maybe you, you have him, you know, um, 
suffer sort of, you know, a triple team situation, Orton and Morocco beating on him. Maybe Adonis hits him from behind with something or, or it's maybe... gotta be dirty. You know, that's the thing. It's gotta be a dirty victory over uh Billy Jack. Because we still gotta put over the rules of what the Survivor series are and we'll continue to do that, you know, as this match continues. But Billy Jack falls prey to the numbers and, and he goes down in a in a dirty fashion. It's like, you know, what was going on here? Why did the referee see this? And maybe at this point you you still toy with the idea. Maybe there's only one referee, you know. And, and Gorilla says there needs to be two referees out here. There needs to be two and then you lead to that the next year. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think you know, this situation now where where Piper is just looking across the ring at his three nemesis, the three men who've been doing to it, and you know, Piper is Piper. Bring it on. Let's go. He starts brawling with everyone. Morocco, Orton, Adonis doesn't want to have a piece of him in the ring. Piper fights back. I can see him taking out Morocco. You know, Pinning Morocco with a with a with a with a with a steel, you know, maybe maybe um, you know, grabbing the tights, then putting Orton out by, you know, you know breaking his eyes and and oh, you know, Piper's the mark. He was he was he could do anything that he wanted, and he could get away with it. I mean, he was being he was turned babyface because everyone was cheering him as a heel. So, and he always kept those heel mannerisms. So he, he had a vendetta against Orton. Maybe, maybe, you know, he rakes Orton's eyes and, and hits him with a low blow and, and covers him. And, and he's ready for Adonis. He beckons Adonis in and Orton just grabs a chair and smacks him in the back of the head. And Adonis is disqualified. And then Adonis, Orton and Morocco put the boots to Piper. Three on one, you know, Piper looks sympathetic, but he looks so strong with his comeback. And the only reason that, you know, he's not pinning Adonis is because we have a DQ finish. Yep. And and, and with that DQ finish, it's it's Piper is it, – maybe he's got the sleeper hold on Adonis, you know. And then Orton comes in and, and, and nails him with the – does he, is he still got the cast at this point? I think he's stopped using it by now. He, he seems to stop using it around the time he hooked up with Adonis and, and – and, and Morocco. Okay. So yeah, he, he really seems to have gone at this point. But um, yeah, you know, take advantage of it, and, and maybe a couple of the blokes come back out. Maybe JYD and Billy Jack Haynes run back out to save Piper from the beating that he's taking. But we've got Jimmy Hart out there. You know, we've got a lot of incidences in which we can we can make something happen. And and Gorilla and Jesse are putting over how anything can happen at this event. You know, like the numbers game and and the disqualifications, all of it put together. You know, Piper wins by DQ. It's a very dirty, messy, ugly victory. But they put over how he won. But when you look at the screen, Adonis and Orton are the ones that look like they walked out victorious. Yeah, laughing at him. Maybe, maybe Adonis has tried. Maybe he's even clipped a little piece of Piper's hair. Yeah, something. Um, you know, just just to lay the seeds for what will come later on. All right, Dave, we've talked about three big matches. We spend a lot of time on them, but, man, the reason why everybody came to this card, everybody has tuned in um, on their televisions, is for our main event, and that is team captain Paul Orndorff. And this is a true Heenan's family team here. Paul Orndorff, King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, Hercules Hernandez, and Harley Race. And they are taking... The King. The King, Harley Race, sorry. And they are taking on Team Captain Hulk Hogan, 
Hillbilly Jim, and they've got the machines. They've got Giant Machine, Super Machine, and Strong Machine. And when you look at this heel team, you've got Bundy who faced uh, Hogan at WrestleMania. You've got Stud who he's got a history with. You've got Race who he's got a history with. Hercules who I believe he just would have fought in at a Saturday Night's main event. And then, of course, Orndorff, who he's been in, enthralled with, a, a big feud with. Um, Hogan has got his his nemeses, if you will, uh, right across the ring from him. And then, of course, on the other side, you know, he's got his the machines, um, you know, playing off that big angle with Andre and Heenan. Um, just so many exciting things um, building into this matchup. The reason why everybody is here... Um, so if we look back at, at uh, Saturday Night's main event on October fourth, on October fourth, Hogan would have faced uh, Orndorff, and then he would have faced um, Hercules. It would have been taped on November fifteenth, but shown on November 29th. So um, you know, all in the same time, and then he would have uh, defeated Orndorff in the cage on January 3rd. So all of these things wrapped up together. Hogan has got his five big nemeses across the ring. And of course, number six is Bobby Heenan. So, um, where do we even start yeah, no, with it, this? Yeah, it's going to be a big, big situation. I mean, obviously, the whole Orndorff-Hogan thing was running. This was at its peak. It was running strong. Orndorff had turned on Hogan, rejoined them. Um, and, yeah, it really worked out. Like, like you said, it worked out that Hogan was, you know, Bundy and Stud had been involved with Hogan previously. Hercules, he'd had a match with the King. It really just made sense to put the, the, the Heenan family together. And this is where we ran into what I was alluding to earlier. At this point of the year, Bundy and Stud were primarily being used as a tag team. And then you've got the machines. But the whole machines thing was about playing off this idea of, Andre getting the better of Bobby Heenan, and it was a feud with Bundy and Stud. So it really made sense to put these guys in this main event rather than down in a tag team match. Yep. And um, it would, I think, the heat in this match would be phenomenal. Um, it would, it would have been the, the, the roof would have torn off the place when they were entering the ring. I mean, and at this point, we are setting the stage for. Here are the top ten guys that we can put in a match, and we're going to put them in a match. And maybe, all right, we can put it at the top eight because Hillbilly and maybe Hercules Hernandez, even though we just had a title shot, he's maybe not at the level of everybody else. But, damn, you're talking about some some big names in here. And, of course, with Heenan out there, you've got to add him into the mix. He was so damn good at this time. Gorilla and Jesse putting this thing through the roof. I don't know um, – you know, the 87 main event is pretty damn good, but this one would definitely rival it, in my opinion. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be enjoyable. And I think, you know, let, let's not discount, in 86, Hillbilly Jim was, he was closely linked to Hogan. And when Hogan had a ta- needed a tag team partners, it was normally, at this point, it was either Hillbilly Jim or Andre the Giant. Yep. Um, so Hillbilly being in that main event is not, um, I don't believe it's a, it's a far-fetched thing because Hillbilly was so closely linked to Hogan and it had... His battles with Bundy and Stud, and, and it would just make sense that he's in there. And then, as I said, the whole machines thing—that this is this is Andre's get back at Bobby Heenan for having him suspended for missing a match earlier in the year. So everyone knows that Andre's under the under the mask. Everyone in the crowd knows it's Andre, and I think it really creates the opportunity to to create a little bit of a story here to move forward. And, and the thing is. 
where's the beef? Are you kidding me? These are the Hogan has got five of the biggest guys in the company right next to him here. And then of course, on the other side, you've got some pretty strong dudes there. Harley race is that it's, it's, it's funny to say that Harley race is the weakest of the 10, uh, you know, when it comes down to physique, but you know, you utilize all the pieces of this puzzle. Um, when we look at this match, I think it, it's pretty clear to see, um, race and Hercules aren't on the same level as Hogan, uh, even on the same level as their teammates. You know, those are two guys that you see kind of go out. Um, now, super and strong and, and hillbilly, you know, those are guys that are going to drop down. You got Bundy and Stud, who I think you can utilize something in which they both lead to Giant Machine getting taken out, um, and, and all three of those guys being out of the mix so that you can bring it down to Hogan versus Orndorff. I think um, I think I can I can see you, know, you sort of have that idea you know Hillbilly you know, maybe maybe one of the machines you know, um, let, let's just, let's just you know, we know we all know that under the mask Blackjack Mulligan and um, and Billy future Demolition Acts could probably have you know Blackjack Mulligan machine eliminated early um, along with Hillbilly you know Billy machine gets eliminated and I think Bundy and Stud I can see them dragging. Dragging Andre, maybe maybe Giant Machine's in the ring with Orndorff, and 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 he gets to the ropes. He's in the corner or whatever, and Bundy and Stud just grab his legs, pull him out, and start battling with him in the aisle. I, I, and, I, I have to and, I have to uh, to correct myself here. I apologize. It was actually um, Super Machine is Bill Eady. And, and it's big not, machine. It's not strong machine. It's big machine. I, I apologize. I don't. I don't like making errors like that. But you know, just to get those right. But, you know, Andre and Bundy and Stud and, and Giant Machine can be just battling in the aisle. Maybe I was actually thinking. Maybe what happens before Andre gets in the ring? Maybe Hogan has been the, at the suffering because we, we're probably going to find ourselves three on two here: Orndorff, Stud, and Bundy against Hogan and. And, and Giant Machine, and Jesse could be playing up the hole. We could see it again. You know, if he can, if they can eliminate Hogan, then Andre, uh, then Bundy, Stud, and Orndorff are going to have Giant Machine on his own. They can tear that mask off and prove to the world he's Andre the Giant. So you've got this big thing that we're going to get another three-on-one situation. Hogan is beaten down, makes the tag to to um, to the Giant Machine. He comes in. He, he, he maybe you know, cleans house a little bit, sends Bundy over the ropes, hits Stud. He's beating on Orndorff when Stud and Bundy grab him, drag him under the ropes, start beating on him, and Hogan is still recovering from his beating. And he's not really, he's barely on the apron at this point. So Andre, or Giant Machine, cops a bit of a hiding, and, and it basically his... You know, maybe the other two machines have to run down and that to try and even up the odds, but all of those men are counted out, leaving Orndorff and Hogan as our last two. But planting that seed, why didn't Hogan come to his teammates' aid? Mm-hmm. Why didn't Hogan... And, and maybe maybe even have Jesse play it up on commentary while, on, while Giant Machine's on the outside with Bundy and Stud. Where's Hogan? Why isn't Hogan coming to help him? Where is Hogan? And Gorilla could be saying, well, he's still recovering. I mean, he can barely stand up. That's not good enough. He should be over there with his teammate. Look, or, you know, Orndorff and Stud and Bundy, they're all working together. Why is Hogan not supporting his teammates? Lay the seeds 
for what we know is going to happen in early 87. Absolutely. And coming out of this event, who do we got looking strong? We go back to the main, the, the, the premier matchup, the first on the card, Savage, Jake, and Butch. Three guys who are all going to be world title contenders down the line. Um, in the tag team match, you got the Killer Bees and the Islanders. You already know that they're going to be good, but they're going to be going up against teams like the Bulldogs and uh, the Hart Foundation, which is interesting when you think about the fact that the Islanders do turn heel and go up against the Bulldogs, and you got the Killer Bees and the Hart Foundation. I mean, that's a that's a really fun you know little setup because you got four teams there that are going to interchange with one another. Um, in that third match, it's kind of our our lost but not forgotten match of. Piper really getting a good rub against Morocco, Adonis, and Orton. You know, you've got to set up some of your future uh, feuds with some of those things, and I think that's how that one works out. And then, of course, the main event. And, of course, obviously we're saying, we we haven't said it yet, but we're obviously saying Hogan is going to get the win over Orndorff. Maybe not dropping him. Maybe we don't have him drop the leg drop. I don't know. Maybe we do. Um, but obviously Hogan gets the win over, over Orndorff. Maybe, maybe you know, whatever reason, we don't want it too, too super. I mean, we're in 86. We want to be able to know that Orndorff is going to get his, his, his later rematch for the title coming up. So we don't want it too, you know, killing Orndorff off, but Hogan gets the win. Yep, absolutely. And, and that's the big thing. Hogan gets the win. We've set the seeds for... Andre the Giant's heel turn. We've got the five big guys that Hogan's been facing. He's he's almost vanquished them. He's got the one more big match with Orndorff, but then it's going to build up, and he's got this new challenger, Andre the Giant, coming up. Um, Survivor Series 1986. Dave, would you have bought the pay-per-view? I would have. I would have. Um, I, 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 think, I think that just the, the, the opportunity to see some of these, like we said, these these feuds that have been brewing, coming to a head at this point in time, or being furthered at this point in time, I would have got it. I think it would have been an enjoyable concept. Um, Gorilla and Jesse, I mean, the one the one thing you got, what we saw in '87, they made the concept work by explaining the team concept. They'd be doing it here. Um, it would be a, it would be an enjoyable card to watch, and the majority of the the card we've got the, the good guys going over and sending the crowd home happy. Absolutely, and I, the biggest thing is we've set some foundational pieces for what the future is going to hold. And if we hold this card up against an '87 card, I believe that it complements it in a lot of ways. Um, it's interesting to see like how things would change in 87 because you look at like that that savage team and and you say oh by the way savage is actually going to be teaming with jake the snake next year to go against the honky tonk man you know what i mean um those tag team matches you look at the bulldogs and the killer bees you know where they stand and then you have the islanders um you know it's just fun to to look back and say you know shit roddy piper isn't even on the card next year you know what i mean like that, that whole team of Piper, Billy Jack, Corporal Kirshner, Coco, and JYD—they're nowhere to be found next year. And even on the other side, Adonis, Morocco, Orton—you uh, got Dino Bravo, who's in the tag team match, but Kamala—they're nowhere to be found next year. And that's kind of what we talked about—that lost but not forgotten match. It's like, all right, where do these guys actually fit into things? Um, and then, of course, the main event, we're, we're all building to, uh, you know, what can we do to feed Hogan 
um, and make make the fans hungry to see him face the next person. You know what I'm saying? Um, that was the 1986 formula, and honestly, there was nothing wrong with it because it worked to a T, and they made a lot of money. So um, pretty good stuff here, Dave. I, I enjoyed this card. Um, any final thoughts on it? I think that, you know, the the 86, I look at the card and you see it really is the tail off of the last era. Um, and if you look at the 87, you've got a lot of new guys and new pushes and a new direction going. So I think this is almost the culmination of of an old era. You're sending some guys out. Yeah, it, would have been, it would have been fun to see sort of this has been what's been the past, but now we're ready to move forward. So I think I think it would have been you know, the new concept with the old guard would have would have certainly been uh, a, a pleasure to, to, to watch and, and to, to be part of. But but in the end, the people that you're building up are, are the guys you want, and that's that's really what the Survivor Series I think was always the best thing about it is you look throughout the history of the event, the guys that win more often than not are the guys that you're building around moving forward. Um, and, and that's that's what makes the Survivor Series such an enjoyable car because it gives you a bit of an impression where things go. It allows new feuds to be created. Um, it allows old feuds to be resolved. And it allows um, it allows the fans to see everyone on one night. And I think that's what, you know, that's what, got missed when they when they went away from the team concept absolutely um just wrapping up you know this year's survivor series it's going to be historic and in some ways it may be infamous in others um you know when it comes down to booking a show like this one like you just said we want to see all the stars we want to um have good stories we want to see this different concept so often do we see the same thing over and over and over. With the Survivor Series, it was a chance for us to see something new. Do you, I mean, I think you and I can both agree the WWE is missing that right now. Oh, every event seems to be the same. And, um, and yeah, you, can, you can go from one event to the next, not, not really watch anything and still just know that, you know, it really just comes down to who's in the title spot. Okay, um... You know, someone's going to hold this title for a while, they'll lose it in a few months, they'll hold it for a while, lose it in a few months, and, you know, whose turn is it to win? Yep. You know, is it, is it, is it Cesaro's turn? No, it's his turn to lose. Oh, it must be Wade Barrett's turn to win this, this, this month. Oh, okay. Oh, look, Seamus has got the money in the bank, so he's going to lose every match for the rest of the year until he has his money in the bank cash in. So... Uh, everything just feels the same. Bring in some difference. Bring in some variety. I mean, you, you just have so much potential to, you know, the, what I always loved is the unlikely alliances that come about. Can you imagine being at a, being doing a Survivor Series these days and having Roman Reigns in the ring and he finds himself being the last two on a team with Cesaro against... You know, against you know, it could be you know, it could be you know, against who knows, Wade Barrett and Sheamus, or yeah. not that that's much. But you know, you've got that idea. Who can we have these guys against or with? And all of a sudden, something clicks, and everyone likes it. Well, it, it uh, if you go back to the Battle Bowl 1991, one of my favorite shows, Starcade 91, um, Jess or uh, uh, Tony Schiavone and 
Jim Ross, they say, you never know. We could find some guys that do really well here, and they could end up being a team and make a run at the tag team titles. That was true with their Survivor Series. Maybe you find somebody that could be a good teammate, and and they make a run. You never know. Um, The unpredictability, everything about it, the Survivor Series, one of the great events of all time. It's truly missed. Um, I want to thank you, Dave, for coming in with me tonight and and working on this project. Um, It's been too long, and, you know, Hopefully our schedules can work out where we can do some more of these in the future. Um, One concept I did want to bring up to you, um, obviously we still have a couple of shows that we've been talking about doing, Um, you know, the the great Royal Rumble rebook, I think we might end up saving that until January, but that's definitely something that we're going to look back at every single Royal Rumble and we're going to say, all right, here who is who here is who won. Let's talk about who could have won and what they could have done with it. Um, I think that'll be a good lead into the, the Royal Rumble um, because another event that we love, um, we talk about CM Punk staying around or uh, leaving in 2011 and how they could have booked that uh, a little bit better. Um, and then, of course, our summit shows. Now, we started in 89. I think you and I talked about possibly going back to the future a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe going back to, uh, you know, maybe an 86, 87, 88 and seeing what some of those summits would have looked like. And, of course, uh, you know, right now we just finished up 91. So we've got a 1992 summit that would definitely look at WCW and, and WWE in completely different lights and how they would uh, – how they would compete with one another given all the circumstances. So a lot of good stuff on the Low Blow Booking Podcast forecast. We just need to, you know, find some time to do it because you and I are both busy guys, and, uh, you know, we we respect our listeners out there. We want to put together a good product, and, and tonight's show was a, was a great, fun adventure for me. I love going back. I love the Survivor Series. I love booking it. Um, it's obviously been a pleasure working with you tonight. It's, it's always a pleasure from my end. I enjoy every moment of it. Look, I, I, you know, hopefully we can uh, not be as long between recordings this time. I think that would be great. But uh, obviously, you know, the other thing for us is always just trying to match up the, the time differences. But, you know, we've done it. We've, done, we've got a bit of a ball going. We, we're building, a, a, I think, a, some good concepts. And, um, you know, let, let's bring it on. Let's bring some more stuff up. But, you know, listeners, send in some ideas. What would you love us to talk about? What would you love to see? Rebooked. What would you What would you love for? You know, what time periods would you love to see have some changes made? Just Just let us know. We'd love to. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, and I always allude to it, Dave. The golden goose is out there. The invasion. The invasion. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Hook or crook. When it all comes down to it, my goal is to is to do the invasion. It's going to be a two parter. It's going to be a three hour broadcast. But um. I definitely think that you and I could look at what happened, what was there, and make it better. You think we could? Do I think that? anyone could make it better. Anyone could make it better. I know, but I hate that. Oh, anybody could do it. But really, <laughs> to really make it and break it down and say, "All right, we've got a level playing field. Let's make this thing happen." I think you and I have got the the goods to do it. So, Dave, I want to I want to thank you again for coming in tonight. Um, tonight for me, this afternoon for you. And, uh, yeah, let's keep doing work, my man. I hope things are well. I appreciate all our listeners. Again, give us a like, give us a share, give us a retweet, give us a repost, whatever you got to do. Get us out there. Let the people know about the Low Blow Booking Podcast. 
Um, you know, we've got a Facebook page. Look us up on there. It, it's a great event. It's awesome. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean. Um, Dave, until we meet again, my man, it is always a pleasure. Um, I will catch up with you on the flip side. Absolutely, my friend. All right. Thank you guys very much. Let us know what you think. See ya.